0: We have been looking at the final hours in the life of Christ as we are in that particular section of Scripture in the Gospel of John. We've seen the Lord minister to His disciples in just incredible ways as He's there to comfort them and to care for them and to tell them of, of, of things that are going to take place in the future and to minister to their their hearts that are about ready to see their Lord go to the cross. And in John 17, we come to the section of Scripture that is like no other Scripture in the Bible. A section of Scripture that is just this incredibly precious gift to us, as the Holy Spirit inspired for it to be recorded in perfection, for us to be able to be here on a day like this and to be able to 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 see exactly the words that Christ spoke as he was about ready to be betrayed, as he was about ready to go to the cross, the words that he prayed, the Lord's prayer in the sense of his prayer to the Father just hours before the cross. We see him ministering to the disciples and then in verse 1 it says Jesus spoke these words and then he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Radical. God the Son there ministering to the disciples and then he does the only thing which is fitting to do is to shift, to have all of his attention go to the Father all of his attention go to God the Father as he prays. His eyes are lifted up towards heaven and he just begins to speak to his father, the one in whom he spent all eternity with. He has always been with the Father. Our eternal God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he turns lifts up his eyes to heaven. And then he begins to pray. Begins by saying, Father. Addressing him as Father. Father, this term of endearment between God the Son and God the Father. Knowing all that is going to come upon him, knowing all that Jesus is about ready to face, he calls upon his Father. Father, the hour has come. Prior to this, we've seen over and over again Jesus saying that the hour has not yet come, that it was not yet time. But now he says, the hour has come. This hour in which it's the greatest moment in the history of, of the universe that is about to occur. The hour has come. Father, the hour has come. Father, now is the time in which I will proceed to the garden. I'll be betrayed. I'll go to the cross. You see in John 12, where Jesus is praying to the Father earlier, where he says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. What do I say? Do I say, Father, save me from this hour that's about ready right to occur? No. It's this reason that I came. It's for this hour. It's for this event. It's for this and the history of all of mankind in which Christ, the Son of God, goes to the cross. It's interesting in that prayer when he's praying that in John 12. His, his next response after saying, what do, I, what do I say? Father, save me from this hour. He responds but says, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's the words that he spoke in that prayer in John chapter 12. Father, glorify your name right now. And there's this radical moment in in John 12 where there's this voice from the Father that comes to the Son saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Notice the words that are spoken. Father, glorify your name. And the Father, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I will glorify it. I have and I will. This unity between the Father and the Son as far as this is the point, Father. This is the hour. This is the time. Glorify yourself. And the Father is saying, I have and I will again. I will do that again. Now notice in this prayer here in John 17 where Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. And then it's the same thing again. But here he says, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. When you look at at history, when you look at words that are spoken throughout history, when you hear all the words of Jesus as they're recorded in the pages of Scripture, all that has been revealed to us in the perfect Word of God, at this moment in history, when Jesus calls upon the Father, you're... You're on pins and needles saying, like, what is he going to say? What will he speak to the Father? He lifts up his eyes towards heaven and he's going to say something. What is it? And that's what he says. Glorify your son. That your son also may glorify you. There's this. Section in the, in the book of Psalms, where in Psalm 66 and verse 5, where the psalmist is calling upon the people to observe who God is and what it is that he's done. And, and the psalmist says, Come and see the works of God. So the psalmist just calls out, Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. Come and see the works of God. He's awesome in His doing towards the sons of men. And in this prayer, Christ is calling upon God to enable the universe to come and see the works of God, to see His glory. He's awesome in His doing towards the sons of men. We we know that God revealed his glory throughout history. Um, and creation, speaking things into existence, the angels rejoicing in the, as they see these things take place, or he speaks light into existence. He speaks creation, all of it, into existence. Glory. The heavens declare his glory, we're told. You can even just look. I mean, you, just, you look at nature, and God just tells us that it declares my glory we also see at times where where his glory is displayed in in other circumstances where Moses is there and he's able to see just a little bit of the afterglow of, of Christ or God there on the mountain. Just a little bit of the afterglow. Shining. Brilliance. His glory is displayed when there's a transfiguration and He's there shining like the sun. There's moments throughout the Old Testament and even in the life of Christ where his glory is displayed. But there is something that is about to occur when Jesus goes to the cross, where Jesus is coming to a place of the hour has come, now is the time, glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Something different is about to occur. Something that is more glorious than anybody has ever seen in all of history is about ready to occur. And Jesus is just calling upon the Father, glorify your Son. Now's the time, glorify him. Now's the time. I will glorify you. The hour has come in which we will display to the entire universe our glory. Now's the time. Calling upon you, Father. Let's do this now. Now it is going to occur. To all creation. To the entire universe. God is about ready to display his glory. In the sense of. His sovereignty. His holiness. His justice. His mercy. His grace. His love. His faithfulness. It's all displayed on the cross. In the most radical way. All of it was about ready to be displayed. Father, glorify your son that the son may also glorify you. And does it happen? Does it occur? Absolutely. I mean, from this point on, you see him going into the garden. You see incredible grace as he calls upon the disciples to pray, and they just keep falling asleep. You see them them come to, to arrest him, and he's betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. You see his sovereignty in it all, as far as every detail of everything that is about ready to take place, has all been prophesied in the Old Testament to where we see God is totally and completely in charge of everything that is about ready to occur at the cross. Details that are just given, as far as from how he's betrayed to the way in which he'd be crucified to the way in which he would be buried and that he would rise again on the third day, just as he said. All of the details, all of it, are recorded. So that we would be able to see his power over all of it. It is not that he is the victim that has been killed by the Jews or killed by the Romans. It is that the son of God has come to earth to lay down his life for us. And it was his plan. It was his doing. He could call legions of angels to come and to take him. But that is not his plan. The hour had come for him to display his sovereignty over it all. And that he's about ready to go to the cross. displayed. The disciples forsake Christ and they're scattered. And in that, Christ is glorified. Why? He's glorified because it said that it was going to happen in Zechariah three seven, That they'd all be scattered. His sovereignty over it as far as this is going to happen. We see them leave. Those that were the closest to him. Those that had traveled with him. Been with him for three years. All of them gone. They scatter. And he's glorified by it. Because he said it was going to happen, first of all. And secondly, I think even more importantly, is this. Everybody's scattering shows the heart of our God. He's going to the cross as a result of his grace and his mercy and his love. Not because he couldn't imagine spending eternity without his faithful followers. He's not there saying, "This is the guys I just can't live without them." I, I mean, they're incredible. I mean, they're the, the most wonderful, beautiful, loving, faithful people ever. I mean, how could I not go to the cross for them? Rather, we see in them being scattered that we love Him because He first loved us. His glory is displayed. His glory is displayed when Peter denies Christ three times. His glory is displayed in all of it because we see a God who, while we were yet sinners, He loved us. While we were yet sinners, He died for us. If you think of the God that we serve, we serve a God who looks upon people and, and they're unfaithful and they love darkness rather than the light and they're prone to wander and they do these things just like each one of us and He saves us. They're scattered. He's by himself. He doesn't have the support of all the disciples. He doesn't have them all around him. Rather, he is by himself going to the cross because he loves us in spite of us. He's glorified in that. He's glorified as our sin was placed upon him on the cross. With every scourge with every strike, with the crown of thorns, with the purple robe, with all the mocking, with all the spitting, with all and every sneer, with every blow of the hammer, with every drop of bloodshed, Christ was glorified and Christ glorified the Father. With every one of them. How precious must the justice of God be. I mean, if you want to see the justice of God. If you want to see that there actually has to be a payment for sin. If you want to see that sin actually has to be punished. Every scourge, every strike, the crown of thorns, the purple robe. All the mocking, the spitting, the sneers with every blow of the hammer upon the stakes driven through his hand, his hands and his feet. With every drop of blood, it is a vision, a perfect vision for each and every one of us to see the justice of God. There's no doubt to the entire universe whether there must be punishment for sin. With every blow, you're able to see we serve a God who is one in whom justice dwells. His holiness. Oh, how perfect his holiness is. And how great must our sin be. I mean, you, you look upon the Christ, the, the cross and, and Christ is saying, Father, glorify your Son now. That the Son may glorify you. And you look at the cross and there could be no doubt to the entire universe as far as the holiness of God. God is not a God that dwells in heaven, that is there and seen all that takes place as far as the wickedness of men and the sin of men and all that occurs and their failures and their inability to keep the law and he is not a God that looks and says let's just let's, just, let's pretend like this didn't happen if it was possible for God to say let's just pretend that this didn't happen everybody you can go into heaven we'll, just, we'll do a do over pretend like it didn't happen the universe would not understand the character of a perfect God who is holy. I mean, when you think of the holiness of God where he says to Moses, hey, take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. (laughs) You, You can't even walk into this place in which I am at because it's holy ground. So take your shoes off. He is a god that's holy a god that cannot be a part of sin a god that, that cannot look upon people and say ah, they're not that bad he is a god who is so holy so perfect that he cannot be a part of sin there's nobody who can enter into heaven still in their sins impossible there has to be forgiveness of sins It has to be that we are as white as snow. We have to be clothed with robes of righteousness. Apart from that, there is no chance of anybody ever entering into eternity in heaven. The holiness of God demands that. You look upon it. The universe looks upon it. The angels look upon it. All of us look at the cross. We see it as it's recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. And we see him glorified in such a way that we see his holiness and say, there there cannot be anyone like you. You must remain holy. There was no other way. There must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. There must be the perfect Lamb of God to be our atoning sacrifice. He's glorified. He's glorified because He's the only one in the universe who could be our Redeemer. He's glorified not only as the Lamb of God but also as the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. He's glorified in it all. We see Him there at the cross and there can be no question as far as of our God. He's glorified with every statement from the cross. Every word that proceeds from his mouth, everything that's recorded for us to, to be able to look and say, this is what he said as he was there upon the cross, all of it glorifies him. Father, glorify your son, and then you see the thief on the cross, and Jesus say to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. It glorifies the son. We see him there on the cross, and they're, they're sneering at him and mocking him. And you have a thief, a guy that deserves to be there. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And it glorifies the Son when Jesus turns and looks at him and says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me. It glorifies him because we see that it's not based upon this man's good works in which he gets to spend eternity in heaven. But it's based upon his faith in the work of Christ. And the son's glorified. Do you think the son was glorified in that man's heart on that day? Absolutely. Can you imagine? You're there upon a cross and just saying, remember me. And having the creator of the universe say, today. Today. When you breathe your last, you're going to be with me in paradise. Nothing else mattered for that guy. Nothing else mattered for him. I mean, he's there. He's hanging upon a cross. He's there and he's being punished. He's got stakes through his hands. He's got stakes through his feet. And yet, none of that can save him. None of it can save him. It doesn't matter that he's got stakes in his hands and stakes in his feet. It doesn't matter if he's been beaten. It doesn't matter that he's on his own cross. The fact of the matter is he is a sinner. And even the death on the cross for him cannot atone for his sin. He needs the perfect lamb of God who is without spot or without blemish or any such thing. The one in whom is to be exalted above all others to die on the cross for his sins. He needed a savior and he was saved on that day. And when Jesus said, it is finished, declaring that his redeeming work was finished, it glorified the Son. It glorified him. Can you imagine what took place in the hearts of the angels as they're there watching all that's occurring? Just to hear it is finished. It's done. The payment's been made. We've watched all of these lambs be sacrificed. We've watched all of the whole sacrificial system occur for the last several thousands of years. All of this that has occurred, and now it's done. The price has been paid. It's been paid in full. Nobody will ever have to sacrifice an animal ever again. The payment has been made, and it is complete. It's finished, and Christ was glorified. The Father was glorified. He was glorified when the earth quaked and when the rocks split and when the sun was darkened and when the veil of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. He was glorified. Can you imagine like what was taking place as far as all who observed at that particular time in the spiritual realm? That veil, that veil that kept anybody from going into the Holy of Holies. That thick veil torn in two from top to bottom. After the earth quaked and the rocks split, we see the the veil torn from top to bottom all the way down. And everybody looking and saying, there is access now to the Holy of Holies. We can approach his throne boldly. There's no separation now because the price has been paid. They have been made holy. There's no need for a sacrificial system. There's no need for a rope on the high priest's leg as he goes into the Holy of Holies. None of that is needed anymore because he has made access to the Father. And he's glorified. He's glorified when the centurion cries out, truly this man was the son of God. He's glorified. All of this occurring inside the heart of the centurion, he's looking and just saying, surely this man is the son of God. And he's glorified. And it's recorded for us. He's glorified through his burial and he's glorified when he rose again on the third day just as he said would occur. Sin and death were conquered. He, his people were set free from the bondage of sin. We were freed from the law. Through faith in Christ, we now could be made righteous. The resurrection declares that Christ's death was the perfect substitution for our sins. If it wasn't, God would not have caused him to rise again from the dead. He rose again from the dead, declaring the substitution was perfect. Christ was glorified when the angels and all their stunning radiance declared that Christ had risen. Don't be afraid. He's risen just as he said. And he's glorified. You gotta figure that all the angels are seeing this take place as well as the devil and his demons. They're thinking, we've crucified him. Satan and his followers are thinking. He's been killed. He's been put to death. We've won. And then the angel rolls back the stone and shines in brilliant and says, nope, he's risen. Just like he said. And the father saying, Son, you're glorified. The son saying, Father, you're glorified. They know us. They see us. They see our power. They see our love. They see our grace. They see our mercy. They see our sovereignty over the entire universe. That there's no one that can kill him. Rather, he laid down his life for us and he rose again on the third day. He's glorified. He's glorified when the women tremble with fear and great joy and they run in amazement to bring word to the disciples. The joy in their heart. He's risen. He's glorified. He's glorified when the women hold on to the risen Christ's feet and they worship him. He's glorified when each disciple saw the risen Savior. He's glorified when he ascended into heaven and his followers worshipped him. And as they all returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God, Christ was glorified. The Father was glorified. and The gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem and Judea and even to the uttermost parts of the world. And as it was, he was glorified. And So he prays, Father, Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Was it effective? Was that prayer answered? Absolutely. I mean, He displayed to all of us his power and his justice and his holiness and his love and his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness, a covenant keeper that keeps his promises to us. He declared it all to us. If anybody ever wants to know the love of God, whether we serve a God of love, look upon the cross. Look upon what was about ready to take place in that hour. When he said the hour has come, and what was about to occur, he has displayed himself to us in such a way that we sing praises to him. Our hearts find joy in him. We delight in him. He says from there, as you have given me, verse 2, as you, have, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And So, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Part of God being glorified, part of the Son being glorified, is in the fact that we exist as His people. The glory of Christ is that He has made for Himself a people. That phrase there where it says that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. Or in John 18, in verse 9, where he says, he says, of those whom you gave me, I lost none of them. I've lost none. So you're here. Your hope is in Christ. Your faith is in Christ. You think of how is it that I'm saved and you know that the only way that you're saved is because Christ died for your sins. And he's given you his righteousness. You're a believer here this morning. And you are a believer because the Father gave you to the Son. The Father gave you to the Son. He is glorified in the fact that you have been given to the Son. He's glorified in that you and I would be saved and all those that have gone before us and all those that will come after us. His authority is over all flesh. His sovereignty over all things. And our eternal life has been given to us by the Father. The psalmist in Psalm 115 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your Name, give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. And so, we on a morning like today, I say, it's not us. It's not us. You're glorified. We have eternal life, and all the glory belongs to you. We have eternal life, and it was all you. You died. You saved us. You called us. You drew us. You did it. From there, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is eternal life. Now, in contrast, the opposite is John 3, 19, where it says, and this is the condemnation. So on one side you have, and this is eternal life. On the other side you have, and this is the condemnation. The condemnation is that Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's the condemnation. But eternal life is that they know you. And this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. God is glorified when we know him. Not just about him, but we know him with regards to salvation. He's glorified when we look upon Him and stand in awe of Him through that knowledge. He's glorified as we love Him. He's glorified as we worship Him with all that is within us. He's glorified when we remember Him when we give thanks to Him. He's glorified when we find ourselves satisfied in Him alone. He's glorified in us, in our salvation. These who were once under condemnation and love darkness rather than the light, and now He's saying, Father, glorify Your Son that I might glorify You here is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent, and he's glorified in it all. He has worked in such a way that all glory is given to him. It's radical when you just think, okay, here we are, we're sitting in this church. We were once dead in our sins. We once were living in darkness. We once didn't know that he was our savior. We didn't know that he was our God. We didn't desire to follow him but then he has worked so majestically in our lives to reveal himself to us that we love him. I'll tell you, if you are a believer here this morning, you love him. You love him. If you're here this morning saying, like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I love him. You're not a believer. If you are a believer, you love him. To know him is to love him. Maybe you don't love him as much as you should. I surely don't. But I love him. I know that I love him. And he's glorified by that. He's glorified by displaying himself to us. Now, you got to remember that we once hated him. We once loved darkness rather than the light. We didn't ever want to even go after him. And now he has displayed himself to us. His Holy Spirit has drawn us. Our eyes have been opened. Our hearts have been softened to where we, as His people, just, we love Him, and He is glorified by that. When we sit here in the sanctuary and we sing with all that is within us unto Him, He's glorified. When we find ourselves, as I said before, satisfied in Him alone. I don't know, None in all the earth I desire besides thee. Stuff of the world. as just nothing in comparison to the excellencies of Christ. Like, I, I count it like Paul. I count it just as rubbish. It's trash in comparison to the knowledge of you. The glories of you. Christ and him crucified. I, I'll take that over anything that the world has to offer. And he's glorified in it. He's glorified when we find joy in Him. When we find joy in Him. When we as His people who once loved darkness rather than light, we've seen Him and we've seen His glory and we've seen the cross and we've seen His death and His burial and His resurrection and we place all of our hope in Him and there's joy that's there, He's glorified by it. He's exalted by that. When you in your heart, in the midst of incredible trials, Still have joy in your Savior? He's glorified. He's exalted. When we trust Him, He's glorified. When we hope in Him, He's glorified. He's glorified by our humility. When we say, like, I didn't bring you anything to the table. I didn't have anything to offer you, and yet you died for me. He's glorified. He's glorified when we live for him. When we make our lives living sacrifices unto him, he's glorified. When we serve him, when we please him in every area of our lives, he's glorified. When when you look at all of the temptations that are there before you, and you just say, like, I don't want them, I want him, he's glorified. When you say, I, I, I treasure him above all of the other stuff of the world, he's glorified. When you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to give up, when you're tempted to quit in marriage, when you're looking at your marriage and you're saying, okay, I, I said for better or for worse, And now it's worse. <laughs> We're in the worst part. And I'm still going to stay. And I'm still going to be faithful. I'm, I, my spouse is difficult. And yet this is just going to be a display of Christ and his love for the church. It's going to be a display of the covenant between God and his people. He's glorified by that. When there's sickness and health and you're in the sickness time, He's glorified when there remains faithfulness there. When you're in time of want, He's glorified when you depend on Him. He's glorified when you're in a place of looking at your life saying, I just want to please him. I don't want to please myself. I want to please him. I don't want to feed my flesh. I want to please him. I want to do what honors him. I want to live for him. I want to do it his way because he deserves all glory. He deserves all honor. I want my life to just glorify him in every part of it, every ounce of my being, I want just to honor him, to glorify him, to please him. I want people around me to see the worth of Christ to me. I just want them to be able to see it. I want him to be able to know that he is more precious to me than gold or silver or other things that perish. He's glorified. He's glorified when we seek him. He's glorified when we follow him. He's glorified when we go after him. He's glorified when we just want to spend time with him. He's glorified when we cling to him. He's glorified even in those times when it's dry and we're just like, it's not like it used to be. I want that spiritual high that I once had, and you're not there, but you want it. You taste it, you know how good it is. you want to go after it. even when you're not there, He's glorified by you wanted him like that because you see his worth. He's glorified by that. He's glorified when you joyfully proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified here when you tell your neighbors of him, when you tell your family of him, when you proclaim the gospel of him, when you joyfully tell people the good news here and even to the uttermost parts of the world, he's glorified by it. And so, he goes from there to saying, I have glorified you on earth. Father, I've glorified you on earth. I finished the work you have given me to do. He had been about the father's business. His food had been to finish his work. And now the hour had come for God's plan of redemption for mankind to be completed. And as a result, God was glorifying. In verse 5, we'll close with this. He says, And now, O Father... Glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. The deity of Christ. The eternal God in whom we serve. Glorify me now with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And he did. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father he has been glorified with the glory which he had with the Father before the world was. And that is Our Savior. He starts his prayer. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. Did it happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did he glorify the son? Everything in us as believers just desires us to praise him, to live for him, to honor him, to spend all eternity with him. How does that happen? We hated him. We loved darkness rather than light. The Father glorified the Son. The Son glorified the Father. He has made a way for us to know him. He has washed us of our sins. The veil has been torn in two. We are his people. We will spend eternity with him. We who once were not a people have been made the people of God. All of it has occurred so that we on a day like today would praise him with all that is within us because he is glorified in our hearts. We who thought very little of him at one point, we think so much of him today. To him, all of our allegiance is due. We love our savior. It is an answer to this prayer, and this is that which was most important to Christ when his hour had come. That he would be known. That he would be seen. That we would be able to see his worth, his grace, his love, his mercy, and that it would affect us, brothers and sisters. Not just right now, but for all eternity. Oh, the sovereignty of God. A perfect prayer. And the fruition of it is we are blessed by it for all eternity. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we love even just these first five verses in your prayer. Lord, we look forward to the remainder of this chapter and just looking at what it is that you said to the Father on that eve. God, I pray that um, you would cause yourself to be glorified in each and every heart here this morning. if we've wanted to do it our way, if we've begun to go after the things of this world more and more, if there's just been a lack of desire and to be with you and to please you and to honor you and to live for you, I pray that on this morning, Lord, that we would hear your prayer and see your worth And the result would be worship. In song, in our hearts, in our lives, in our actions, in our repentance, in our longing to honor you. I I pray that on this morning, without a doubt, we would see that you have glorified yourself. And it would radically make up who we are in every aspect of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.